Unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And coming up on tonight's podcast, we will speak to the man who took the UCF Knights to the big dance for the very first time back in 1994. Now an assistant in Iowa, Kirk Spiral will join us here on the podcast. And once again, we thank you for hitting the play button. Some items beforehand. First, we go to the National Football League, and Joe Flacco has been traded from the Baltimore Ravens to the Denver Broncos in exchange for our fourth-round pick. That means Case Keenum's experiment as the Denver starter, the man that John Elway said they targeted last year. You don't go after Flacco if you're happy with your quarterback situation. So, that said, it's going to be Lamar Jackson's gig in Baltimore full-time as suspected. And we'll see what Joe Flacco has left in the tank for Denver. In Pittsburgh, Antonio Brown has tweeted goodbye to the Steelers fans. So, that mess has just gotten totally off the rails And the Steelers really have no choice but to try to trade him and move on because this locker room is in complete disarray. They've had the Le'Veon Bell situation, Antonio Brown in diva mode, Ben Roethlisberger in diva mode. This does not have good makings for the Steelers. And why Mike Tomlin is allowed to continue, that is beyond me. We turn to college basketball. A couple of notable games last night. Duke rallies from a 23-point deficit to beat the Louisville Cardinals. What a tremendous comeback in that particular contest. And LSU upsets Kentucky. Controversial call at the end of the game. Cavell Bigby-Williams tapped the ball in as time expired. Replay shows that the ball was still in the cylinder when he made that tap in, but that particular component, basket interference, is not reviewable by replay. And you could also make the point that E.J. Montgomery from Kentucky has stuck his hand through the net prior to May's final shot before that uh, rebound tip in. So maybe it's a wash, maybe it's not. But again, replay is not satisfactory even in college hoops. As we come up on the 25th anniversary of UCS, first appearance in the NCAA Division I men's basketball tournament, it is my pleasure to welcome the man who guided that journey back in 1994 as UCS head coach. He is currently an assistant at Iowa. Coach Kirk Spiraw joins us today on the program. Coach, thank you so much for taking the time. You bet. It's great to be with you. So you arrived in the summer of 1993, uh, fresh off a three-year stint uh, to Long Kruger at Florida, and the Knights were in big need of a turnaround. At that time, what did you see that needed to be done, and how did things come together so quickly in that first season? Well, it was interesting. Uh, normally, when you get a new head coaching position, <clears throat> excuse me, you um, you know you're hired you know around March, April, sometime in the spring, so that you can have you know the the rest of the spring and the entire summer to kind of get your feet on the ground and get to know the players and they get to know you and, and what you're all about. I think I was hired July 29th. So I had like two days of recruiting in July. And then of course, um, the guys were coming on campus in about two, two and a half weeks after that. So it was really a, a whirlwind at that time, <clears throat> you know, getting, um, getting family moved quickly and, and, um, 
you know, trying to to get to know everybody, get to know uh, people in the in the community, and and of course our team and and uh, assistant coaches and that type of thing because they retain the uh, you know coaches uh, from the previous uh, staff. So been the very and and um, you know was stayed and and I was only able to hire Chris Morey at that time. So it was uh, it was a quick start, uh, but a great group of guys. A lot of returning guys. Coach uh, Dean had done a, a very good job of recruiting and and put together um, you know a team that that I think was you know ready um, to be, to be successful. Even though that uh, they had some struggles the you know the two three years uh, before actually their entire time in Division One. I. I don't think um, I think the average UCF averaged about eight wins a a year. Never had won more than. Twelve, I think the three previous years they'd won ten. So it wasn't a program that was used to winning, um, but good guys and and willing to listen and and willing to be coached. And I think that was key. Yeah, you had a lot of juniors and seniors, and you had uh, uh, you. I'll mention some of the names: Okiel Swaby, Victor Saxon, Daryl Davis. Patrick Butts, um, you know, four guys averaging double-figure scoring, and you had another three that were in the five-six rebound range. So, you had a lot, of, a lot of, uh, a lot of share in the ball and a lot of contributions. We did. We had a well-balanced team, uh, like you say, an experienced team. Um, I think it was a matter of trying to get them to believe in themselves, believe in in uh, our system and what we were trying to get accomplished both offensively and defensively. And, and like I said, those guys were open to, uh, you know, to something new and, and really embraced what, uh, what we, what was important to us. And of course we were um, a defensive oriented mindset um, with man to man defense being, um, you know, our main, our main D and, and motion offense. And, and sometimes it takes a little while to, you know, develop good coordination and cohesiveness in as far as running motion and moving the ball and being unselfish. But uh, these guys were, were really unselfish. And I really think, uh, you know, you mentioned some names, but uh, a name that you didn't mention that I think was absolutely critical to this team was James Walker. Yes. And uh, James was uh, undersized, you know, post for us and uh, was not uh, a tremendous scorer. He was a very good defender. He's a very good rebounder. But he was the epitome of being a team player and an unselfish player. He set great screens for our shooters and got them open. He was uh, very good at delivering the ball. He didn't make mistakes. Uh, he, he was a tremendous rebounder and a, and a great competitor and wouldn't back down from anybody. And, uh, you know, if somebody was a little bit getting out of line, you know, James would be the guy and the voice of reason and, and um, you know, holding people accountable uh, in what they were doing. And, and um, he was a tremendous, uh, tremendously important factor and, and uh, a part of our, our whole season. Yeah, one of the seniors on the team as well. And, and you had a good floor general in Senue Phillips. We did. And Senue had... Um, Great experience and, and had been a starter, uh, you know, years uh, prior. And and yet, when Patrick Butts uh, uh, was playing well, you know, maybe um, seven eight games into the season, we ended up making a, a change at the starting position and started Patrick and uh, moved Senue off the bench. 
and um, and that's not easy for somebody to uh, to accept that role uh, after they've been starting for for such a long time. But he was a tremendous uh, team player as well, a great individual, tremendous quickness, made plays for other people. So when he came in the game, he could change the tempo of the game, and uh, and that was critical. So UCF had a, a, a tremendous season, went to the uh, Trans-American Athletic Conference, now known as the Atlantic Sun, as the, the top seed, and you advanced to the title game. It was uh, great to have it on the home court, uh, beating Stetson 70-67. Can you describe the emotions as that game came down to the wire and the thrill and frenzy that took place once the game clock expired? Well, you know, the NCAA tournament, I, I just don't think there's anything like it. Uh, you know, the the emotion, the, the hard work that uh, all those players go through, the staff and what they go through in trying to culminate in a, in a conference championship and an automatic bid to the NCAA, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it, it's just really what it's all about in regards to, to that time and effort that you put in. And, and you, you try not to get focused on the end result. You try to stay focused on the details of what you have to do to execute and execute well in pressure situations to be there. But, um, you know, great crowd. Obviously, it's, it's always nice to, to win it at home. Um, I, I think it was just total excitement from everyone involved because it had been you know, such a dry spell uh, for the university and, and for the basketball program, um, you know, and, and the first time ever at the Division One level in going to the NCAAs is just a tremendous accomplishment and, you know, just pure joy, really, at, at that point in time. You just uh, have pure joy in, in the accomplishment and the hard work and how all that hard work paid off. So the Knights did get the automatic bid, a 16 seed, a date with the big dog, Glenn Robertson, and Purdue. He got to play in the hallowed basketball grounds of Rupp Arena in Lexington. Boilermakers won the game, 98-67. How did you and the team take in that whole experience? Well, it was an eye-opening experience for for uh, our guys. You know, they had never obviously been in that kind of a uh, environment where there's so much media attention so much focus on on um, the tournament and, and each game in the tournament um, and uh, you know I had been through it you know at different places at Iowa and you know and, and um, successful at Florida so I knew a little bit uh, about it and my first job in coaching really was a graduate assistant here at Iowa and we went all the way to the final four so I knew what that that whole uh, media attention was all about, uh, but it was a new experience for our guys, and and they were pretty wide eyed, quite honestly. And and we didn't play very well in that game. And Glenn Robinson uh, was tremendous, and Purdue, of course, is so well coached, and and they were a very, very, very good team. Obviously, as a number one seed, um, you know. But we didn't we didn't play as well as we had hoped uh, during that game. I think our other teams. Later on, uh, we went to the NCAA tournament. Played much, much better uh, because they knew what to expect. They were they were um, uh, more used to being there. But this is a eye opening experience for these guys. But they thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, and you do mention the other appearances. You would go on to three more uh, NCAA tournaments. Ninety six to play uh, UMass, and I believe Marcus Camby in that uh, 
in that first round, 2004 against Pitt, 2005 against UConn. And uh, boy, I know the the Pitt game really stands out to me because that was like a just a a, a defensive uh, willpower game that uh, that you guys hung in for so long and and had a really good chance there. We did, um, you know. I think it was a pretty even game with about three minutes to go. Uh, it was a battle. Uh, missed a couple of uh, scoring opportunities um, inside that three minute mark that I really think would have. Um, you know, change the the emotions of the game, and and uh, but our guys fought hard and, and played really really well in that game, and you know, and two years later we, or, or excuse me, the next year when we played uh, UConn, you know, the same thing. I thought we battled. They had six um, first rounders in that on that team, different ages, you know, freshmen, sophomore, juniors, etc. But eventually, six different guys on that UConn team were first round draft picks. And we had a chance uh, with about five, six minutes to go uh, of cutting that down to about a, a four or five point game. I think we ended up losing by seven, maybe if, if my memory is correct. But I thought those two years, we really fought hard and had a chance to win those games. So how finally do you remember all those successes, the players and the staff that you worked with at UCF over the years? Well, great memories. You know, our, our time at UCF was, uh, was great. You know, in our profession, you don't get to stay in one place for 17 years uh, very often. Um, you know, we had great players, uh, great teammates, um, tremendous coaches uh, throughout the time, um, administrators. You know, when he first started, Coach Sloan was there, and he's one of the best administrators that I've ever been associated with, and what a great person, you know, and, and a man of great character and integrity and you know, to be involved with, with people like that, it's, you know, uh, it's just a great in, it, experience. And, you know, it, it's wonderful to raise your family in one place, and, and we were able to do that. In fact, my oldest son was six years old that first year, um, and uh, and I made a mistake. I, I let him sit on the bench uh, for home games uh, right next to the scorer's table, and then he sat on the bench in the NCAA tournament uh, game and and uh, I think he caught the coaching bug. He's now at Kansas State as the director of ops. But uh, you know, just uh, those those experiences and and you know, talk to those players, uh, different players that we've had and coached uh, throughout the years. In fact, Chuck Roberts always stays in touch. Uh, you know, off of that team and and I know Keel Swaby's doing a great job as a coach himself uh, out of that first team. But our time at UCF was outstanding and. And we really appreciate all the efforts of the players and coaches throughout those years. Now, you've been an assistant at Iowa since 2010 under Fran McCaffrey. Returning to your alma mater, you walked on there as a player. You started, as you said, your coaching career as a grad assistant under the great Lou Olson. How special is it for you to be part of the Iowa program again? It's been outstanding, you know, and really appreciate Fran for, um, you know, uh, hiring me back here, um, get back to family. My wife is from Iowa City so you know to get back here to familiar surroundings and and uh, coach in one of the best conferences in the country uh, in the Big Ten and and coach at your alma mater and and try to get this program at, at the time we came was was struggling quite a bit not unlike uh, you know UCF and when we went there and and we've had some some really good years it's been 
you know, uh, it's it's always tough uh, and a struggle, uh, no matter where you're at. And we've had some outstanding years, and and had to retool a little bit, but we're back uh, having a great year this year and ranked in the top 20. And I think we've got a, a an outstanding offensive basketball team and and uh, a team that's really fun to watch with great uh, kids and and people with great character. So that's always fun to coach. Yeah, and your guys are, as you said, having a really good season and a big win over Northwestern on uh, Sunday, I believe, and that uh, you guys are keep on keeping on. Yeah, that was uh, one of the most uh, outstanding um, come-from-behind victories that I've ever been a part of the other night against Northwestern. I'm really proud of our guys, the way they kept uh, plugging along and and, uh, never losing uh, faith in what, what they were trying to do and and I think that'll give us confidence coming down to you know these these late season February early March games the conference tournament games and eventually NCAA games you, you got to have great confidence and games like that give you that confidence so tell me about working with coach McCaffrey because I notice uh, quite a bit uh, you know, most assistant coaches are, are seated, uh, but uh, your guys, and you in particular, you guys get to stand up and do some coaching uh, alongside that. It looks like uh, you guys have a lot of a lot of rain and, and latitude. Well, you, you can stand up based on who officiates the game. Some officials, uh, you know, are, are trying to get you to sit down, but, you know, I, I've always had a very good relationship with with officials and stuff, and and Coach uh, McCaffrey gives all of us, you know, uh, you know, he always listens to our input, and, and uh, you know, and we're just coaching our kids. We're just trying to get them uh, to be aware of certain things that uh, that are happening and, and changes that we need to adjust to throughout the game. And so, um, you know, it's uh, it's uh, it's different when you're sitting down there and you're having to look around people to see what's on the court, you know. But uh, as a head coach, you can stand up and have great vision. Mm-hmm. Well, Coach, I certainly appreciate you taking the time. It's hard to believe it's been 25 years since that first uh, uh, taste of March Madness for UCF, and uh, you did so much so much great for, for the University of Central Florida. We thank you so much for your time today. Well, it's been great. Uh, it's hard to believe that it's been 25 years, but... Uh, you know, great times, uh, like I said, when we were there. And I'm just so proud of all of our players and staff that we had during our time there at UCF. Yes, 1994. Boy, that was it was an amazing memory to share on that as well. Particularly the TAC Championship, the Trans-American Athletic Conference Changing the Atlantic Sun was definitely a right move in, in, in as far as the conference name is concerned. But I remember sitting courtside and just seeing, you know, it's such a big deal for these one bid, you know, it's your conference champion. That's all from your conference. It's going to the NCAA in the smaller conferences. So this is your 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 peak moment. Just getting to March Madness, and it's such a great thrill to see that kind of thing in person. That's why I love watching all the smaller conference tournaments and the and when the uh, uh, when March starts and they start getting the automatic bids to the NCAA tournament. Just seeing those emotions and the fans and the players and the coaches is really, really quite special. And again, the Knights. In that 1994 trip to the NCAA tournament, 
at Rupp Arena. And I will tell you, the kids at UCF weren't the only ones that were wide-eyed. I made that trip uh, as part of the radio crew, uh, Andrew Monaco, Robert Siegel, uh, did the broadcast. I went up there to do some additional programming around the UCF basketball coverage, and it was amazing to to go to Rupp Arena, and uh, I got to do some radio shows around there. I actually interviewed Eli Gold, the voice of Alabama. He was still the voice of Alabama way back when. Of course, back at that time, uh, he was the, the big-time voice of NASCAR as well, which we had carried on WGTO. So I'd gotten to know Eli a little bit back in that time frame because Alabama had made uh, that particular regional, and they had a game uh, just uh, uh, before UCF had played. So it was a, you know, a tough game. It was going to be a tall order because it was only until last year that a 16 actually beat a 1 in the NCAA basketball tournament. And usually 16 seeds go down, and they go down pretty hard in most cases. But uh, it definitely indeed was a special trip. So thank you for sharing uh, that little voyage down memory lane back to the 25 years ago. That still amazes me. You know, I've been doing the series on the Magic's 30th anniversary, and now 25 years since UCF made the made March, March Madness for the first time. Man, I feel old. Which means I need to go to bed now. <laughs> and with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. It's made from the finest ingredients so it stops itching, heals hot spots, and painful inflamed skin. Kramer's Salve contains a proprietary blend of neem, an ingredient known for its healing properties. A 4-ounce 6-month supply, including shipping, is just $30, and the 2-ounce 3-month supply, including shipping, is only $20. Help your dog end the itch and hot spot cycle. Order today at Kramersalve.net. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.